From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on November 3rd, 2023, from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. This episode features news out of Washington from two of our most prominent lawmakers, Senator Lindsey Graham and Congressman Jim Clyburn, talking about the holdup of military promotions, national security priority funding for ongoing international conflicts, and changing leadership in Congress. We also look at the ongoing efforts to tackle domestic violence in our state. Former Governor Nikki Haley is also officially on the ballot in South Carolina. We have her comments from her filing and how she's preparing for the third Republican debate next week, which will feature a shrinking candidate field in Miami. The narrowing. The lead loves hearing from everyone. We love our listeners. That's why we have a voicemail box set up at 803-563-7169. We will soon change the greeting. I know it's very dated. It was pre-pandemic. It was the pandemic. Things change. People change. But you, you are still there for us. And we love hearing from you. Let us know how Halloween is. It's November. We're about to fall back, folks. Time change. You know how we feel about that here. 803-563-7169. You tell us how you feel. All right, let's start off in Washington, where Senator Lindsey Graham and several other high-profile Republican senators took to the floor Wednesday night in a fit of fury directed at their colleague, Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tupperville, who for months has been holding up hundreds of promotions in the process of rubber-stamping military promotions because of his disagreement with a Department of Defense policy that reimburses soldiers who have to travel for abortion, which is a legal medical procedure, except where it's not. Graham has been speaking out against Tupperville's blockade for months, citing the national security risks this poses, even though the Pentagon says it's still holding things down. However, the Commandant of the Marine Corps this week suffered a heart attack, presumably in part because of the stressful nature of holding the job of the two top spots for the military branch, because people aren't getting promoted. Other military folks are also holding off on retirements, and careers and lives remain in limbo. This is all exacerbated by the Hamas attack on Israel, the ongoing Russian war with Ukraine, escalating tensions between Taiwan and China, and growing threats to America. So with all that, here's Senator Graham, who during his speech held up a photo of Laura Lenderman, who was supposed to be promoted to Lieutenant General and Deputy Commander of Pacific Air Forces. Take a listen. You just denied this lady a promotion. You did that. All of us are ready to promote her because she deserves to be promoted. She had nothing to do with this policy. Let me say it again. Everybody in this body could find an issue with any administration they don't agree with. And what we're gonna do is open up Pandora's box. Today is abortion policy. If we take back the White House, we'll go back to the Mexico City policy, limiting dollars to be given to overseas entities that are engaged in the abortion business. Some pro-choice people don't like that. What would happen if they put a hold on all the officers because they don't agree with the Republican administration? There's a reason this this has not been done this way for a couple hundred years. No matter where you believe it or not, Senator Turbeville, this is doing great damage to our military. 
I don't say that lightly. I've been trying to work with you for nine months. Folks, if this keeps going, people are going to leave. Let me tell you how the system works. You have 18 months, I think, from the time you're promoted to pin on. And if you don't make that gate, your time and grade up or out rule kicks in. There's some people that are waiting to be promoted that if they don't get promoted soon, they're going to be out of the military. Now, how does that help anybody if they're qualified? There's not one senator in here that could not find a reason to object to an administration policy in the military. None of us. We could all find something. I just hope we don't do this routinely because if this is the norm, who the hell wants to serve in the military when your promotion can be canned based on something you had nothing to do with? She had nothing to do with this. Now that's the Lindsay many voters know and love and remember from the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. So that's some BKE right there, folks. Big Kavanaugh energy from Lindsey Graham. Now Graham's been to Israel. He's also been to Ukraine multiple times. And the man is fed up with Tupperville, as are many others. Politico reports that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer backed a proposal to temporarily change Senate rules to allow most military promotions to be confirmed in bloc, that is, with a single vote. Now, this idea would need 60 votes on the floor, meaning nine Republicans would have to join Democrats. So stay tuned. Now, we tried to get Graham on this week in South Carolina, but a tight schedule made him unavailable. However, Congressman Jim Clyburn did make time for us. He's the only Democrat in our state's nine-member congressional delegation, and he weighed in on the dysfunction in the Senate, among other topics we covered related to Congress, as well as the campaign trail, with Minnesota Democratic Congressman Ed Phillips's quixotic bid to primary President Joe Biden. Now, before we get his thoughts on that primary challenge, here's Clyburn on the Senate stalemate. No, Tuberville uh, is one of the biggest disgraces I've ever seen uh, come to the Congress. Uh, he sits in the Senate with absolutely no understanding of uh, what the Senate is all about. Uh, I'm not too sure he had a good understanding of what football was all about. Football is about character building. I think he was all about having a winning record. Uh, I've talked to people who played for him, uh, and he was never about character building. So uh, this guy uh, has just been a failure on all fronts, and he's been a real failure uh, in the Senate. Now, I don't always agree uh, with Lindsey Graham, uh, but I do often uh, agree with him. And this is one of those times when I do very well agree with him. You see it putting America at risk when it comes to national security? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but Tupperville wouldn't understand that. Uh, he doesn't know what national security means. Minnesota Democrat Congressman Dean Phillips announced that he is running for president against President Joe Biden. We're less than 100 days from the first in the nation's South Carolina primary, and Phillips is already registered for the New Hampshire primary, which Biden has not because uh, South Carolina is first on the calendar. That was his request. That was DNC approved. You're a co-chair for Biden's re-election campaign, so I think I know the answer to this question, but does Phillips' bid matter? Well, I don't know why Dean uh, Phillips has uh, gotten into race in this manner. The fact of the matter is, uh, he is showing tremendous uh, disregard for the titular head of the party. Uh, he is violating uh, the rules committee uh, because it has laid out uh, what the sequence ought to be. And he is showing a lot of disrespect uh, for the voters of South Carolina. We know what the history of these kinds of things uh, is, and it's very clear. Anytime you have this kind of 
insurgency uh, taking place with a sitting president, it is not uh, fared well. And it's on both sides of the aisle. Uh, it happened to Jimmy Carter when Teddy Kennedy challenged him. Carter lost in the general. It happened to George H.W. Bush uh, when he was challenging the primary. He lost uh, in the general election. You come down through history, and that's been the case. So I wish that Dean Phillips would take a look at what he's doing. And it's not that he's representing any uh, group of people. Uh, he seems to be on a vanity trip, and, and that's all. Uh, Congressman, let's jump to Congress, where you are right now. The Biden administration is pushing a $106 billion supplemental funding bill for national security issues, including the wars in Israel, Ukraine, as well as the southern border and Taiwan. Should this funding bill be split up? Uh, will this bill pass without being split up? This bill should not be split up. And you see what's going on in the Senate in a very bipartisan way. I don't think the country uh, has seen in recent years uh, the majority leader of the Senate in this instance, uh, the Democrat and the minority leader in the Senate, uh, the Republican, Mitch McConnell uh, and Schumer, are on the same page. And we hear them speaking out very forcefully that this should be a package that moves forward uh, in unison. And so for the House, uh, the new speaker, to split this up and condition the aid for Israel is beyond anything this country has ever done. It shows a, a lot, uh, I think, of disrespect for NATO uh, and our allies around the country. And if we were to do this, we will be losing our standing on the world stage. So sending a negative message to not only our allies, but also to uh, these enemies as well. Well, absolutely. No question about it. Uh, this will be viewed by a lot of people as being some kind of a bow uh, to Putin uh, and the Russians. And that, to me, uh, should be of concern to all Americans. You can hear my full interview with Congressman Clyburn, the assistant Democratic leader, on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. Twisk always airs Friday at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday at 1.30 p.m. on SCETV statewide. Oh, wait, what's that? A double of this week in South Carolina. Well, okay. That's right, folks. Uh, it's, we do double dip here from time to time. But I really wanted to share some important information with you all related to criminal domestic violence, or CDV. October, which just ended, is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I strive to always bring some focus to this disruptive and dangerous issue every October. But just because the month is over doesn't mean we go back to pretending domestic violence doesn't exist in our state where we've been one of the worst offenders of women being killed at the hands of men for years. I spoke with Monique Garvin, who is the Deputy Director of the Violence Against Women's Act and the Human Trafficking Programs at the Attorney General's Office. I asked Monique whether the slow, slow decline of deaths of women and men is indicative of legislative and judicial reforms that have been made after years of being the worst state in the country. So we have seen a decline in the number of domestic violence homicides in South Carolina over the last several years. And I think we can attribute that to the recent, well, not recent, the 2015 legislation that really targeted the way we were prosecuting and addressing domestic violence. Um, as you may know, domestic violence in South Carolina is defined by a household member, so a person who might be living together, um, formerly lived together, has a child in common, common or who might be married. 
And so that is how we classify domestic violence in South Carolina. And so based upon that information, we collect data from the various law enforcement agencies in the state to, to refine that data. What we also look at is because we know that definition might be a little bit limiting in terms of what we're seeing in terms of intimate partner violence. We also look at the Violence Policy Center, which looks at the ways, the number of men who have killed women across the nation. And we're also seeing an improvement in South Carolina in terms of that ranking year to year. Within the last two years, we saw South Carolina reach out of the top 10. So they've been collecting this data for the last 25 years. And South Carolina, for the first, for the second, for twice since that data has been collected, has ranked outside of that top 10. In 2021, we actually ranked number 11. And then in 2022, we ranked, we ranked 23rd. And so we are seeing an inc we are seeing some improvements across the state in terms of the number of women killed by men, as well as the number of domestic violence homicides that are taking place in our state. I think it's a more because we have looked at legislation. We're constantly looking at legislation. We're also making sure we have concerted efforts across the state and having partnerships between law enforcement, solicitors' offices, victim services um, agencies. And so I think all those things combined, we're going to continue to see South Carolina improve the way that they're responding, prosecuting, and serving victims in South Carolina. It's encouraging to hear, of course, like you're talking about, we were in the top uh, 10 states for 23 out of 25 past years with that Violence Policy Center's mm -hmm. rankings. Uh, and of, in part because of those rankings, I mean, we were number one for several years. It was disturbing. That prompted the legislature to act in 2015, like you were saying, about increasing CDV penalties, uh, making some uh, judicial reforms there, and also adding a law that generally prohibits the possession of firearms and ammunition by someone who's been convicted of CDV, criminal domestic violence. Are those weapons... As as you know, getting out of the hands of these offenders, as far as you can tell? Well, I can't say that for certain, but I can say that we are in our office ensuring that we are training prosecutors, judges, law enforcement officers on that legislation, on those amendments, and watching it closely to ensure that they know that they have the ability to um, combat that Lautenberg Amendment to ensure those who've been convicted of domestic violence aren't able to possess those firearms. And so we're continuing to do that work um, across the state to ensure that we are being effective. Another thing we're looking at is the strangulation. Um, for several years, South Carolina has not had a strangulation bill, but there are some conversations that are happening as of right now to ensure that not only firearms are prohibited from those who've been, who've been convicted of domestic violence, but we're also looking at adding a strangulation bill to South Carolina um, so that we can ensure that those who, we know that the lethality assessment for those who've been strangled or choked in those situations, the lethality assessment for them increases dramatically. And so we're looking at multiple ways in which firearms are being used. Just last year in our silent witness ceremony, we know that firearms were the primary weapons used in those situations. Um, we know that was followed by strangulation and knives and and also choking. And so we really want to make sure that we're targeting the issues across the board, not just looking at firearms, but looking at the various ways in which weapons are being used to harm other people. That was Monique Garvin with the SC Attorney General's Office. Now, you are not alone if you are in an abusive relationship or if you think a friend, coworker, or family member is. These are complicated situations and understand that it's not as simple as saying, just leave the situation or getting frustrated when someone goes back to a partner over and over. 
be the support someone needs, know the warning signs, and find out how you can get out at scadvasa.org. That's S-C-C-A-D-V-A-S-A dot org. Next up, former Governor Nikki Haley was back where it all started on Monday. She was in the South Carolina State House, where she filed to be on the February 24th Republican presidential primary ballot, or the RPPB, <laughs> as we all say. But first, some backstory here, if you don't know. Haley was first elected to the State House in 2004 to represent District 87 after unseating the longest serving state representative at the time, Roy Kuhn, in a primary runoff. District 87 is in Lexington County. She served three terms in the statehouse before running a long-shot campaign for governor and ended up as the Republican gubernatorial nominee in 2010 after beating folks like then-State Attorney General Henry McMaster, sound familiar, Lieutenant Governor Andre Bauer, and later, 3rd District Congressman Gresham Barrett in a runoff. Now, Haley uses that story of that win, defeating the good old boys of South Carolina, as her main message in how she sees herself beating former President Donald Trump who's leading the field and has been leading the field, as well as others like Ron DeSantis. We have a country to save. And as you look at that, you look around the world and the world is on fire. We see a war in Europe. We see a war in the Middle East. You've got China on the march and America is retreating. That's not how you win. A strong America doesn't start wars. A strong America prevents wars. And we have to start being a strong and proud America again. We did it starting in South Carolina. We're going to finish it at the Oval Office. I'm going to work hard to make you proud like I always have. And together, we will work on saving our country and getting our country back on track. Thank you very much. God bless you. I Haley went on to defeat Democratic State Senator Vincent Shaheen in November 2010, But on Monday, Haley was surrounded by her supporters and three prominent lawmakers that have been with her for the long haul. Some ride or dies, if you will. Senator Tom Davis of Beaufort, Representative Nathan Ballantyne, and Congressman Ralph Norman. Here's Senator Davis. So I've known her for 20 years, and so I've had this feeling about her for 20 years. And that feeling has always been, I'm looking at somebody who is destined for greater things. I'm looking at somebody who has presidential timber. Um, That's just something instinctual, something that I recognized immediately with her. But I wrote down exactly why I feel that way, some objective things on the way up here. To be a good president, you have to have a strong vision for the country's future. You have to have the ability to put their own times in the perspective of history. You have to have effective communication skills, the courage to make unpopular decisions, crisis management skills, character and integrity, the ability to make wise appointments, and the ability to work with the legislative branch. Nikki Haley has all of those qualities in spades. And it glorifies and and gratifies me to see the rest of the country seeing those qualities in her as the primary process unfolds. People saw it on the debate stage. People see it increasingly in Iowa and New Hampshire and all across this country. They're seeing the person that I saw 20 years ago, and that person is going to be the next president of our United States. Haley is officially on the February 24th ballot with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former President Donald Trump, Senator Tim Scott, 
entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Oh, how you doing? North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, and Ryan Binkley, David Stuckenberg, and John Anthony Castro. I welcome you to Google those last three people. Haley recently scored the endorsement of Senator Tim Scott's hometown newspaper, The Post and Courier, my alma mater, and continues to enjoy positive press, fundraising, and movement to second in the polls in early voting states like Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, usurping DeSantis, whose never-back-down pack has been saturating the airwaves with attack ads against Haley. Well, I'll be the last one to tell any candidate to drop out. I mean, I think everybody that has gotten into this race, they're talented, they're strong in their own right, and I think that they're going to run their own race. But I'll tell you, if you look, we started with 13 candidates, eight made it to the first debate stage, seven made it to the second debate stage. There's four of us that have qualified for the third debate stage. We've got another debate in December, two in January. And as these debates happen, anyone that doesn't get on the stage continues to fall. And so we think that that's going to wind down so that by the time we get to Iowa, we've got a small handful going into New Hampshire, a couple more will drop, and then we'll come to the sweet state of South Carolina and we'll finish it. Expect some fireworks at next Wednesday's debate in Miami. Now, following her filing, Haley fielded questions from the press, and I asked this about the debate. Gavin, it's only right that we end with you. I just want to ask you, Governor, what your strategy is for uh, the debate in Miami. You have a bigger target on your back now. What can we expect to see? I think you'll see more of the same. I've always, with debates, I kind of put myself out there and let the chips fall where they may. You know, I, like I said, I feel like I've had debate prep from all these town halls. Um, usually what I will do is... I really focused the couple of the day before on where we need to go, what we need to say. And then the day of the debate, I listened to a lot of great music and that has worked well for me. So I think we will continue to do that, but I look forward to the debate. I look forward to um, continuing to show the contrast and I look forward to the American people seeing that, look, we have a country to save. This is not the time to deal with, with old headlines or negativity or vengeance or anything else. This is time for a new generational conservative leader. The debate is on NBC Wednesday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. See them on NBC stations and their properties. Now, NBC Nightly News anchor Lester Holt and Meet the Press moderator Kristen Welker will serve as the moderators of the debate. They will be joined by Hugh Hewitt, host of The Hugh Hewitt Show on Salem Radio Network. Joining Haley and DeSantis on the debate stage will be Senator Scott, who just qualified for the debate days ago, Governor Christie, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, folks won't have to fight as much for airtime during this debate because North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson did not qualify for the debate stage. And former Vice President Mike Pence, well, he just suspended his campaign last weekend. The Narrowing Pence and Burgum both spoke for a combined 17 and a half minutes in the last debate. So do with that time what you will, candidates. Former President Donald Trump will once again skip the debate. And uh, really quick, just want to let you guys know again that the debate is in Miami. Welcome to the wind-down section, our little break from the news, and we're glad you're here. A.T. Shire, I'm glad you're here. Oh, it's glad to be uh, glad 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 here. Thank you so much. Glad to be glad. Like, uh, what's that, Pollyanna? I have no idea. You never saw Pollyanna? No, no. Well, 
<laughs> Besides that, TGIF eighteen. It is TGIF. Thank we Grace. All, intern Friday. We all know what that stands for. Thank Grace. It's intern, intern Friday. Friday. Uh, so Grace, welcome back to the Grace show. Grace is here in studio. Thank you so much. Grace, oh. you brought a special guest with you. I did. I brought my dad, who's he's, visiting me for the weekend. But he's back here with me. Yeah, yeah he's, he's watching. The class. He's, he's watching. just nodding. So you can trust me that he is nodding. He's here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all listeners. Anyway, Grace. Every week we ask you to bring us one piece of news that struck you particularly. And uh, is this week's Taylor Swift adjacent, or is it at all? It has nothing to do with you Taylor Swift. You keep thinking she's going to bring us more Oof. Taylor Swift, No, she's I, not. Two was enough. I need to expand my horizons okay. with you guys. There we go. So this week I'm bringing, it is political, oh. hashtag bootgate. Boot? Oh. oh, yes, Grace, <laughs> snaps to you. And... What gave me this idea, so since we went to the Trump rally, I've been signed up for Trump's media releases. <laughs> yes. And I, they're amazing. Yes. I love them. And I got this one on November 1st that says, DeSantis, heels high, hopes low. The embarrassing hashtag bootgate story has longer legs than Ron DeSanctimonious. No matter how hard he tries to click his heels three times, the misery still won't go away as he continues to plummet in the polls oh. and has become the butt of every single joke in national media. That's from you the know, Trump campaign? Yeah, yep. and you know, God, actually, that's so I'm looking mean. back because I'm Going out to, to all supporters. Too. I sent you one that he, she sent out too, and it said, um, Trump group ridicules Ron DeSantis with early Christmas present of Puerto Rican flag boots complete with chunky heels. And I just sent it to you and just said chunky heels in quotations. Yeah, chunky heels. But we've also seen Nikki Haley talking about it because she was talking to Charlemagne the God about it. Mm -hmm. And he tried to ask her about Bootgate too. And she made a nice dig about like you know, if I'm wearing heels, I'm running in. Them yeah, or don't wear like that. don't wear anything you can't run in. Well he didn't like that because I also got another press release that said Nikki Bird brain Haley. Burn. Ooh. Burn. Ooh. <laughs> so they, he just roasts everyone. But it, he is like a roast comic. They it's did, so funny. Yeah, they did uh, deliver a bird cage outside of her hotel room that one time after they said the bird brain bit. So <laughs> everyone gets a nickname. That's that's a good sign, I guess, for them. They've said, we love it. We are leaning into it just like Ron DeSantis is attacking her. Now they're like, we love it. Mm -hmm. Keep doing it. That means something's happening. Um, Grace, what are what are the kids talking about these days? Are they talking about Bootgate? Yeah, I'm seeing it everywhere. A lot wow. of chatter. Yeah, I've sent it to all my friends. They think it's hilarious. And it's just crazy that that's what the media is reporting about. Exactly. And it's such big news. And I was looking at this article that had like six different points circled on <laughs> Ron DeSantis's boot. <laughs> and each one was correlated <laughs> to a reason as to why he's wearing lifts. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the evidence is really compelling, I can't lie. Ooh. They've talked to cobblers, they've talked to shoemakers. <laughs> oh my god. They got cobblers? <laughs> yes. Wow. Wait, it's... if you're a cobbler, call in please. Yeah. Three, five, six, six, nine. Cobblers. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just seeing it everywhere and it's just crazy that that's the big news of the week. That's, but yeah. it's the evidence is compelling. I think that he's definitely wearing lifts. I saw this diagram of what it looks like inside his cowboy boots. Like a I saw, I know exactly yeah, what you're talking about. And his about. feet only come halfway, and then he's, they're arched so high. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I, I believe it. Bootgate is real. Okay. okay All right, so, we have a belief. So, Grace, what kind of footwear are you looking for in your leader mm. of the country? That... I must say, cowboy boots, mm. kind of a sleigh. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. Let's um, get a sleigh. I, I've told uh, some of our... Friends in my media cabal that I have. Here. Yeah, we have many, uh, a few. We're in a few cabals. <laughs> since but. I covered Nikki Haley so long, like we would always say, it, we would we would know the official star of boot season when she would wear her like knee high boots with mm -hmm. like a, with a accompanying skirt. And so I've let her campaign know, like you know, just so you know, we we're watching to see when boot season officially starts. Yeah, please let us know. And we want I, the first scoop. When I was in New Hampshire, at one of the stops, her one of her people were like, "You see what she's wearing?" I'm like. 
it's official. It's, it's here. Bo- it's boot season, New Hampshire. Breaking boot news. Season. But she, um, you know, she's obviously having to go at it. Boots. I mean, I, I heard, I even heard about Bootgate. Obviously, like been hearing about it. But the BBC, the BBC, BBC was even talking about it this morning with one of their like fashion reporters. Mm. And it comes down to height, right? Like yeah. you want to. That shows like you're so powerful. Trump is like six three. Biden's six foot. Mm-hmm. Obama but was six one. DeSantis, DeSantis says five eleven. Well, you know tall. anyone. Well, Grace, as we at and I are both over six feet tall, so we, we know how this works. Rack. But when you say you're five eleven as a man, you're actually five eight. I know this. <laughs> <laughs> My ex boyfriend was five eleven. There you go. It's like hat fishing. <laughs> They're always wearing hats. What happens when they take the hat off? Oof. Hat fishing? Hat fishing. You've never heard of hat fishing? No. Come on, oh, it's brutal. I'm a big hat guy too. I'm big in the hat community. Well, so you're, you're also a married. Hat fisher. <laughs> He's also married, so this doesn't apply. But yeah, yeah, I got no one to impress. If you see Only someone that's down. always wearing a hat, you gotta be like, what's what's under what's there? What's under there? What kind of lettuce Before you got? Before you, when commit. you have really tall hair, that's another thing, especially <laughs> among young people. The tall hair is bad. Yes, because you're compensating for being short. Oh. So it gives you a couple in- extra inches, you know? So. Ooh. Well, this was informative <laughs> stuff. My goodness. We might, I might have to re, uh, redo the whole podcast here. Yeah. just <laughs> It's all about boots. Restructure it to footwear, hair, hats. <laughs> Gosh, that's this... what the listeners want, I think. Well, thank you. This is you, what Grace. happens when we're not on the TikTok ATM. Yeah, I have I no mean, idea what's going we, on. We are so lost. This is not what I saw coming, and I just can't thank you enough, Grace, for letting me in. I've learned so much. Chunky heels. I didn't know what those were. Chunky heels, hat fishing. Man, this was informative. Thank exactly. you so much. You're just be so glad welcome. that you're six over six feet tall. Yeah, I'm six feet. I'm the tallest person here anyway. But uh, six three. With the best legs. Apparently. Yeah. Oh, Amy's Hard. also here. I have the best legs in the That's building. That's definitely not the case. What is basically a tiny Tim leg? Ooh, I, it's it's rehab. It's getting, it's getting so much better. When he took his leg out of the boot. Yeah, I tore my Achilles, and when I took it out, it, it was, was like, it was small. Like it was remember, a tiny like when Tim Bugs leg. Bunny would like flex, and like his arm would fall. <laughs> That's what it was like. Anyway, thank you, Grace. Come back next Friday. Grace's dad, you got to stay. This was her best one. All right? This is your good <laughs> He's luck. He's not going back. Anyway, Gavin, hit the outro. Thank you so much. We love you. Have a good weekend. Yes, and thank you, Grace. And thanks to all of our listeners out there. Give us a message, 803-563-7169. We love hearing from you guys. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can stay updated with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Yeah, hat fishing's real, bro. (laughs) I've been waiting. You're going to make your dad go to that? He's a fan. He's a fan. I'm a Swifty. (laughs) Oh, there you go. That's great.